Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. The Promised Land battles are recorded in the book of Joshua. There's 20-something chapters, so we are not going to read through it. So I'm just going to give you an overview. But if you want to read through the book of Joshua after tonight, you'll kind of already have a general understanding of it. But I think that there are things to be learned from the promised land battles. Now we know that when the Israelites left Egypt, they left uh, and then they went into the wilderness and then they faced different situations and trials. And in that wilderness, God was stripping them and equipping them and preparing them to take the promise. But once they made it to promise... It didn't stop. God moved them into promise. He fought for them. He gave them the land and the territory. They were victorious. All these miraculous things happened. But then he continued to refine them. And I think that you'll see as we go through um, the battles, there was kind of a back and forth of them doing well and not doing well, doing well and not doing well. But really when you get to the root of it, it was... God moving for them when they were humble and then them getting a little prideful and messing up. And then they were humbled and then they got another victory and they did it right and then they got a little prideful and messed up. So there was still a refining in in the work that was being done even once they were in promise. Now God had promised them victories. If they trusted him, had faith, listened, let him fight the fight for them. The thing is, is that several times they would just kind of go off on their own, take things out of his hands, follow their own ideas and plans, and things would start to get messed up, and they'd have to come back and repent, get back on track again, and then they would start being victorious all over again. So really, they had to learn how to follow, how to follow God, because we always want to take the lead. You know, it's, it's kind of like you're dancing with God, and... You dance one dance and you think you know the moves. So you, you, you just dance and then all of a sudden you realize he's not even dancing with you anymore because he doesn't change the moves and then you're just doing the same old thing. God will always change the moves on you to make sure you keep following. Tonight we're looking at the promised land battles. Um, we're actually not even going to be reading any scriptures here. Like I said, if you want to read at home, you can. There's basically the whole book of Joshua. 20-something chapters, like, I don't know, 28 maybe. So we're not reading all of that. I'm just going to give you a a summary of each of the battles and the things that I think that God intended for them to learn through each of those battles. And I think it's important for us because we all go through our wilderness, our cave season, and we kind of understand those things that we're supposed to learn in those seasons. You know, they were learning in the wilderness how to be a community, a family, how to work together, how to not try to get over on each other, not how to, you know, hog resources and all of these things, how to look out for one another. You know, we've, we've gone through a lot of those lessons of the things that they were being taught in the wilderness, being stripped of all that dependence on Egypt. They get to promise they're finally ready to move in and take the land, and they're still battling. You know, we, we keep waiting for that promised land rest, you know, where you can just sitting and soak it up and God promises you're going to have victory I'm going to give you the land the giants are going to fall go fight we've been doing that when we get to when when do we get there were still things to learn because once they moved into promise 
God was fulfilling everything that he promised, but then that began to change them. That began to make them a little prideful, a little hard, a little arrogant, a little eager to move out on their own, thinking God would follow them instead of them following God. And we all do that. So there was, I think, things to learn even through the progression of the battles once they were even in promise. So we're going to look at that tonight. So after tonight, you're going to have a pretty good understanding of the book of Joshua. If you ever want to go read it, you'll understand what's going on in that book. But basically at the beginning, uh, Moses was faithful to lead them through the wilderness, but Moses wasn't permitted to go into the promised land. That was given to the next generation to possess. So Joshua was to lead them. God said that to the people, honor Joshua the same way you honored Moses. I'll be with him just like I was with Moses. So Joshua leads them into the promised land. Just like Moses led them through uh, the sea, the Red Sea, when God parted it open, Joshua led them through the Jordan River into the land where they went to take Jericho. The Jordan parted just like the Red Sea. So that was God's way of showing the people that in the same way that I was with Moses, I'm with Joshua. So follow him. So they go through, they go in. The first battle when they get into the promised land is Jericho. Probably the most well-known. Great, glorious, victorious. We all know the story, I think, more or less of Jericho. They go in. To Jericho, it's a walled city. It's a defended city. Like she said, it was a very old city. So it had a long time to build up a lot of defenses, a lot of walls. They had um, a lot of resources. They had an army. The Israelites come in. God commands them to march seven days around the city and don't say anything. So they're marching and they're not saying anything. They're blowing trumpets and so forth. You can imagine the people are probably cussing at them and yelling at them and mocking them and making fun of them. But they have to trust God and not take matters into their own hands, not get in the flesh, not uh, go. You know, these people are probably telling them they're scared, you're cowards, you're ridiculous, you're just marching around looking for a way in, but you can't get in. But in the midst of all of it, God was working because even inside there was uh, Rahab, which was one of the Canaanite people, but she believed in God because she had heard of what had happened when they came out of Egypt. You know, that, that's like somebody saying, you know what, I don't know anything about your Jesus, but I heard how you got delivered from drugs and set free and your life was changed. I heard what happened when you came out of Egypt, and I believe that this is real. Your God is real. So she didn't know anything about them, but she believed in the deliverance that she had heard that he had performed. So she wanted to be on the side of this God. So she actually helps the spies when they come uh, into the city to escape. And God honors her and protects her through that. And if I'm not mistaken, she ends up being part of the lineage of Christ. Yeah, so that's... Yeah. She, her and her whole household was protected in the siege, which is pretty amazing. And that kind of shows that even from the beginning, in the first battle in Canaan, God is already redeeming people from it. So it's never been about trying to just wipe out all of these people. It was about wiping out the evil that was there because it was very, very evil there. Of course, remember, all of these cultures were 
annihilating their children, their babies. They were burning them alive on hot statues. Um, they were extremely barbaric. They were extremely evil. And that's really what God was moving to try to stop. But for those who were willing to turn to God, he was always willing to redeem. And even like a, even to just bring her even into the bloodline of the Messiah is amazing. So I think one of the first lessons when they come into the promised land was to discipline the tongue. That's probably one of the hardest things for us to do, you know, for Christians. Oh, you made it through your wilderness. You made it through your hard season. God's going to start using you. He's going to move you in ministry. He's going to bless you. Can you hold your tongue? Can you shut up? Can you be quiet while they're slandering and lying about you and cussing you and, and talking back and mocking you and you're just trying to obey what God said even though you know it looks ridiculous and going seven times around that city with your horn? <laughs> be quiet. Let me handle it. Just trust me. Follow. Again, he was still trying to teach them that even though you're in promise, you still have to follow me. Don't try to take the lead. Don't think you know what you're doing. Don't think you, you crossed the river. Now you can just run and do anything. You still have to follow. So on the seventh day, they shout, they blow the horn, they praise, and the walls fall down. Um, I don't know how true this is, but I have heard that uh, the walls were actually a memorial to their demon gods, that part of the child sacrifice that was rampant in Canaan um, whenever they would place the children on the hands of these hot statues and they would burn to death, they would take the ashes and mull it, right. They would build a fire inside a metal statue till the hands get red hot, then they would put the children on the red hot hands until they would burn to death. Um, and then they would take the ashes in jars and put them in the walls as a memorial to Moloch. So when God knocked the walls down, it was more than just letting them into the city. It was knocking down their memorials. Two I think I've heard two chariots side by side without touching each other. They were big walls. Um, Rahab's house was in the wall, like connected to the wall. That's how big the walls were. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were big walls. And when archaeologists have dug up the remnants of these places, they see that the walls actually fell out so that nobody could say, well, the, the Israelite army pushed the walls in. No, God blew Even it. That would be a miracle in and of itself. It would have been. Right, but it's better because it came from the inside. Yeah, God himself won this fight. He blew the walls out. So I think part of this first battle was to learn when to keep silence and when to make a commotion. And God is going to have to teach you. There are times, you know, it's, it's easy to get stuck in a routine or to think you know things or to think, uh, you know, God is with us. Look at what he's done. You know, we just going to bulldoze through everything. But there are times when God says, be still. There are times when God says, go. There are times when God says, you know, make a commotion, prophesy, shout and, and sing and all that. And then there's times where he says, be quiet, I'm doing something. And it's very important to always follow his lead. He is the one that will bring the victory. And that was what they had to remember and be shown in the very first battle that they had in the promised land. 
to trust God for impossible victories. There was no way they were going to win this except that God himself was going to do it. To wait and to keep sounding the alarm until the moment of breakthrough and to praise when it does. Jericho fell because they trusted, they were disciplined, they were humble, and they had faith. And I think those were the key elements in the battle of Jericho. We come right out of the battle of Jericho into the next battle in the promised land. It was the battle for AI. Literally AI. This one didn't go so well. Because when you have a great victory, usually people start taking things for granted and trying to do things their own way. And God has to step back and let it fall apart. So, don't get prideful or laxed because of the, victory, the victories that you just came out of. When the battle of Ai came, Joshua only sent 3,000 men to the battle, thinking that it would be a very easy one. That might have been the first mistake, thinking, oh, well, God did all of this, so we're just going to you know, ride it, coast it, take it easy, God will take care of it. And I, you know, we're all guilty of that. God does something amazing, and we're like, well, you know, God's just on autopilot. Now I'm just going to go about and do my thing and he's going to take care of everything and then something does, it doesn't go through. You get lax right after a battle. You know, I don't want to fast anymore. I don't want to do this. You God's got this. Well, they only sent 3,000 men thinking it would be easy and it wasn't. They were defeated. But the real reason they were defeated was because sin had got into one of them. Because this is the story where Achan goes in and they were told not to take anything from the battles, to leave it all for the Lord and, and God would do what he saw fit with it. Well, he took some things, some gold and some robes, some garments. He buried it in his family's tent uh, and he hid it. And so part of the reason that they were losing was because one of them was disobedient. He had started doing his own thing and stopped following the leading of the leadership and which was following the leading of God. They weren't working together in unity under God's command. He was doing his own thing. So God ends up exposing it and has to deal with it first. They were to destroy everything and not take or take part in anything. Achan took money and garments and hid them in his tent. Don't desire the things you were sent to fight against, the treasures, titles, riches, and garments of the pagans. Achan lost everything because he showed that he couldn't be trusted with the real treasures that were coming. If he had only obeyed and waited, they were later given much more from the spoils of different fights than what he had stolen from this one. That's really the saddest thing about the story. Him and his whole family ends up being killed and then they go back and they fight the battle again and this time Joshua sends 30,000 men and they win. They're back in alignment. But if Achan had just waited on the Lord, in future battles, God commanded for there to be spoils divided amongst the people, and he actually would have gotten a lot more than what he tried to take for himself. And you'll see that when victories start coming, there's going to always be a temptation amongst the, the body even for somebody to try to take a position or to take some things or to take some notoriety or some attention or or some spoils of war, you know, because they think it seems so glorious. 
But if they just wait, God could give them so much more. So don't fall to the temptations of the enemy. His name definitely fits the story too. What's his name mean? Troubler. Troubler. Yeah, he was definitely a troubler. This was a test of the tithe in a way. Because in these early battles, these things were supposed to either be destroyed or go to the Lord. You always give to God first. You don't try to take for yourself first. Later, God was going to give more, but God was testing their character, uh, and he failed. They were to give God everything first and trust him that he would have blessed them with even more later on. But Achan showed he could not be trusted with God's resources and provisions, so he lost his place in all of it. AI, the battle, this whole scenario, I think, dealt with pride, greed, selfishness, and a desire for prestige. I think even the taking of the garments, you know, it was the fancy things of the enemies. So, come out of this lesson, and the next battle that's listed is a battle in Gideon. Gideon is a place where they relearn humility, where they learn forgiveness, where God aids in the fight again with miraculous things and signs and gives them more time to win the battle by actually stopping the sun and the moon, which in actuality means he stopped the earth from moving for a while. God was making sure they could win this fight. He stopped time to give them more time to win. But they came into this one with humility and with forgiveness. There were five kings that were coming against Gideon, five evil kings, almost like a counterfeit fivefold thing coming against them. Originally, that area was a Canaanite city, but they had made a coalition or a peace treaty with uh, Joshua. So again, kind of like Rahab, they were like, look, we trust your God and we want to be friends. So they were okay with them kind of tricked their way into it, but nevertheless, God was still honoring them. They didn't know a whole lot, so he kind of looked over some of their character. <laughs> but when these other kings came against them, they were coming to attack them. Uh, Gideon had lied, the city had lied and tricked Joshua into a peace treaty with them, but now when they were attacked, they asked him to save them, so he does. God actually tells Joshua to help them and that he will deliver the enemy into his hands. So you look at it, they kind of tricked him, they kind of manipulated, but nevertheless, they did believe in God. And so God's like, go ahead and help them, and I'll deliver, the, I'll fight for you as you do it. I'm going to teach them to trust you, basically. Um, so in this, not only do they have to come into this battle with humility, they have to come in with a heart of forgiveness. Right out of coming out of that other battle. God does visible miracles in this battle, showing how real he is to everyone involved in it. God manifests not just for the Israelites, but I think more so for the people in the city that had never really experienced God. Whenever he causes the whole sun and moon to stand still for the battle, that's something that is proving to these newly converted Canaanites that God is real. He is far above and beyond all of the gods of the land. Baal was a major Canaanite god, and he was contributed to have power over storms. Well, this is way above and beyond God's stopping the sun. 
He's stopping time itself. Gideon deals with offense and hardness and teaches us to have compassion on the ones who have messed up, but now are in a place, either by their own doing or by God's providence, where they need you to give opportunity to show the character of God to them. God wanted to help them. God's goal is always redemption. So, of course, it's not recorded in Scripture, but just knowing how God works, it's very likely that God even allowed this attack to come against them because he was trying to help them to learn and to grow. Because they did want to uh, have a coalition with Joshua, but they really didn't even know how to be not Christians, but part of God's people. In the middle of this situation, it gave opportunity for them to really teach them and to show them who God really was in a way that could really get through to them. So when you are willing to fight for others, God will fight for you. He will do miracles to show them that he is real and is in what is happening. Evangelism will always be the hotbed of the miraculous. And I think that's one of my big takeaways from this. And I can tell you from experience, uh, if you want to see God move in the miracles and in the miraculous, move in evangelism. Because he always goes a little extra above and beyond to show those who've never really experienced him who he really is. We all see him do it every day, but there's just something very different about the way he manifests to those who he's trying to reach and show who he really is. So the miraculous will always manifest in evangelism. And I see this battle as a battle of evangelism because these people were trying to be brought in. The next battle is the battle of Libna. It takes from the enemy and gives to God's chosen. The prideful are abased and the abased are elevated. After all the battles, the Israelite people are given placement. A base of operation is taken for the remnant to operate out of. After the battle of Libna, when this battle wins, Joshua then begins to give the children of Israel uh, their portions, their placement. So the promised land is there. God says, go in and take it. They go in, they're in the promised land, but they actually still don't each have their placements yet because they had to win the battles and take the territories and then God determines where each tribe would get to to stay and to live. So that happened at the after the battle of Libna. So even though you've made it through your wilderness and God says you're in promise, it doesn't mean that you just sit back and relax. It means you still have some fighting to do and some positioning to gain. But even those who got their positioning, they still still didn't get to stop. They were actually commanded to help their brothers until everybody had their territories. So even though you've won your battle, yes, you have a place. Yes, you have a a home. Yes, you have a base of operations. But if your brother or your sister isn't there yet, then your fighting isn't done. You have to take what you've learned and help them so that they have a territory too. So you keep fighting. Right after the defeat of the five kings, that fivefold evil alliance we just read about, Joshua has a swift victory in Libna and gives the city to the use of the Levites, which is God's chosen priesthood. So I like that after the the five kings are destroyed, 
then God quickly brings this victory, and this whole city is given to the use of the Levites. The Levites were the ones that God had chosen to be the priesthood, um, and they didn't really get to have fields and vineyards and those things like the others had to take care of themselves because they had to stay close to the temples and to tend to the temples, so he gives them a city. place, No inheritance. No inheritance. They have a place to live, um, and they're taken care of by the, the tithe, basically. And this battle gave them that. These battles took seven years from the time that they crossed the River Jordan westward into the Promised Land. So from the time they crossed the river, they fought for seven years to get through these battles before the land was given and allotted to each of the tribes and territories and before the Levites had a place to be priests out of. Yep, there were giants in the land, so these were some serious battles. But God had promised victory if they continued to follow his lead. Really, the only time they ever began to lose was whenever they started to do things on their own or to do things contrary or opposite of what God was saying. They were promised this promised land, but they still had to fight for it. So basically, they were promised victory if they had the faith to face the enemy and to trust God's instructions completely. Then he fought for them and positioned them and taught them through it all. So... There's some other smaller skirmishes and stuff, but those are the major battles in the promised land. Um, After Joshua leads the people in, again, they fought for seven years. So just because God tells you you're in your promised land and then the battles still keep coming, don't get confused. That's how it is. You got to fight for your promised land. And then you got to fight to keep it from being overtaken. And then you got to fight for others so they can get into theirs because you know how, how the battle's won. You have faith for it. You've seen God do it. But it's in the midst of all of these things that you are humbled and refined and continue to learn and to grow and to help others. And you get to see the miraculous through it. And, and I like the progression from God moving in the miraculous to them making some mistakes, but getting it right, correcting it. Okay, God's with them again. They're moving in these battles. Now they're moving in evangelism. Now they have a base of operations. Now they have a church established. Now they really have a territory taken. So it's it's not just a bunch of jargon. There's still some fights to be fought. Uh, and so for those that are in their wilderness, praise God, he's stripping and he's equipping and he's preparing you to go into promise. But for those who have... In their promise, you're not done yet. Don't get lax. Don't get lazy. Don't fall asleep in your house. And, you know, the Bible, he promised them houses they hadn't built and vineyards they hadn't planted and all this miraculous stuff, and they did get it. But they couldn't become complacent in that. They had to keep fighting, not only for themselves, but for their brethren. So I think that's just a reminder the Lord wants to give us tonight but at the same time to get a little Bible study in about the book of Joshua. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.